Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier. Stephen Chicken here, joined, as usual, by David Roland Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Not bad, not bad. I forgot you knew my middle name. <laughs> and now everybody does. Wonderful. Yeah, so if you get in, uh, if you fancy nicking Dave's personal information, there's a security question knocked down on a call centre. Uh, two games to talk about, and what a weird noise that was that just escaped my mouth. Two games to talk about. <laughs> Huddersfield Town 3, Peterborough nil. Uh, and Nottingham Forest 2, Huddersfield Town 1. The unbeaten run is at an end, Dave. But first, we've got the Friday night game to talk about. And... <laughs> I, like, I, the thing is, this is a very difficult game to talk about because we have to... Right, it was a 3-0 win. It was a thoroughly professional performance. They did everything that was asked. But we have to... It's a really difficult game to analyse because you've got to run everything through a filter. And that filter is that Peterborough were terrible. <laughs> yeah, really bad. Absolutely terrible. I mean, they were slightly better after the tactical sub 25 minutes in when they just got a man into that massive, huge hole in front of their their defence. Uh, that, you know, Russell, Sonani and O'Brien were just jogging into at will. But phew, they, I, I mean, I, worst team I've seen in the in the championship this year, and I've done Reading four times. They are beyond awful. They're below a team with a 21-point deduction and another with a 9-point deduction for a reason, aren't they? Um, and Grant McCann said in the presser afterwards, he, he's got a lot of work to do with this group. And I thought, yeah, you, you're not. You're not wrong there, mate. You know, <laughs> the the best thing they can do, I think, currently is give up on this season and just get in early yeah. in the summer and get going. So it's really it it makes it a really difficult game to analyse for both of us, really. Yeah, I think it's something I sort of alluded to in the conclusions on the Forest game, but I feel like Town haven't had to be at their best over the past two games. So they they had. They had that win over Fulham, which was massive, best performance of the season, best performance for years. Then they played Cardiff, who were sort of had all the best chances for the first hour, and it's only sort of the last half hour that time came to life, and they got that late win. And then Birmingham and Peterborough, they've just they've been able to coast through those games, and that's not a bad thing, you know, at all. To be able to coast, you know, we've been saying all season we want to see town coasting through games against the likes of Birmingham and Peterborough, so we're not knocking them for that at all. But as you say, it does make it sort of difficult to judge town's level at the moment. And to be honest, I think against Peterborough, although it ended up. 3-0 it really could and should have been 5 or 6 nil. Yeah. they were able to get away with being a bit sloppy and it seems so weird to sort of start talking about a 3-0 win by, by sort of criticising them but they were able to get away with being a bit sloppy on the ball they were able to get away with being less than clinical with some of their chances uh, you know Silver Thomas blazed that one wide uh, Dwayne Holmes had a got into a good position and then sort of didn't do anything with it. Danny Ward had a couple where he got through and either yeah, sort of his there finish was that was, one on his wrong foot, wasn't he, from the left? Yeah, Sonani laid it off. With, really. Yeah, and then and there were a couple where Thomas, who I thought had a really good game again, got up the right wing and put in a cross, and it just needed a finish, and Ward just wasn't quite on the end of it. And you know, obviously it didn't matter because they got that that fantastic start I'd literally just turned to someone in the press box and said oh Sonani's been rubbish <laughs> his last couple of starts he needs to put in a performance here and literally within 20 seconds of me saying that he opened the scoring um, and then four minutes after that he got an assist to go with it 
Um, Tom Lee's ended up getting two goals in the end. It was a, a night in corner that that Toffolo headed back across the box for Lee's second. But yeah, I mean, it was it was an easy, easy game for Huddersfield Town and, and a game that they were able to coast through. Yeah, uh, it, like there is again, these aren't criticisms. It's just it's very difficult for us to sit here and say, well, this is a massive positive and this is such and such because. Like Birmingham are at least a sort of competent side, and I I genuinely couldn't level at that at Peterborough for that first half an hour. No. Um, they they were they were awful. So you know you can only beat what's in front of you, and Town did that, and and you know they did that really competently, professionally, took away the three points. You know it was it it could have should have been more. I would say. Um, you know I said to you by rights before half time this should be 4-0 really but you also can't blame them for realising 10 minutes in that they weren't really playing anyone so they could take their foot off the gas and pass it round a bit and you know like they they went from pressing to just probing didn't they basically because um, yeah. they, they realised what was what the rest of the match was going to be about and uh, yeah I it was just one where you go okay they got they got the three points we all move on that was fine but I th- I think that there are tougher tests to come than that shall we put it that way <laughs> yeah yeah um, I mean the the sort of I think the positives to take out of it obviously leaves his two goals first time he scored two Sanani ever in his professional career Sanani's form as well you know that was yeah. that was a you know that first half an hour I think that's his best football in a town shirt by quite quite a way for me um, I thought he yeah. was really really good like you said I thought Sorbo was good I thought Danny Ward did everything that Danny Ward does really really well I, I, I've seen other people say this as well I, I'm sort of I, I wasn't as fond of that performance from Danny Ward because I thought it was the kind of game where he could have if he'd been at it in front of goal could have had two goals kind of thing and and he and he didn't I thought his movement was really good but I, th- I thought his his work in the box left a bit to be desired in truth I, I tell you what then I I feel a bit the same about Harry Toffolo's performance because I saw a lot mm. of people saying Harry Toffolo was superb and well back on form and I thought me he included was, <laughs> I, I was I was not quite there with you, to be brutally honest with you. I thought he was, again, it's difficult because he wasn't up against much. Everything came down Turton's side. Was it Jade Jones was the, the yeah. their number 17 who was really, was the only one who was who, who looked likely. But yeah. yeah, so just a difficult game. I thought Matty Pearson was good. I think Matty Pearson is in some form at the moment. Yeah, he is. Slightly going I- under the radar a little bit, but he's, yeah, last few games I think he's been colossus. I, I liked the performance from Toffolo because I, I thought he he was uh, as you say didn't have much defending to do, but I thought he, he balanced his performance quite well. And I thought you know the big criticism we've had of him throughout a lot of the season has been his crossing's been poor, but he it was a good crossing um, for the in the build up to the first goal to tee up Tanani's first shot, uh, and he put that one on the plate for Silver Thomas as well, and then got the assist later on with the header. So I think in terms of his attacking output. I, th- I thought it was quite difficult to, to fault Harry Toffolo for me. Well, game of opinions, Saint. It is. And sort of the negatives, I suppose. John Russell looked a bit casual, and, and we know he can be a bit... He, uh, he, he had a very iffy 10 minutes first half. Where yeah, he did, towards he, the end of the first half. He, yeah. got, he got caught on the edge of the box twice, and his yeah. passing radar just completely deserted him for 10 minutes. But yeah, he, he got it back together. But I mean, when even John Russell, who I think... <laughs> 
pace is not his greatest asset it's sort of sprinting into space that first half that showed where that huge hole was and I mean fair enough on McCann for spotting it and being brave enough to actually you know make a sub 25 minutes in as well there's a lot of managers would have waited till half time there and I think as we'll come on to a lot with the Forest game I think it's better that Russell's made those kinds of errors against an opponent that weren't going to yeah. punish it yeah. um because he was playing as a number six basically you know I think Corbrand realized he could afford to play I think he we would he would say that Russell's not at his best in as a six but it was a game where he could just play and quarterback it mm. um but you know Pearson had a, had a few words with him um for a for being a bit lackadaisical on the ball in front of the box. And obviously the other big uh, uh, sort of black mark on the game was was the O'Brien's knock that he took just before the break. And I, I spied straight away, he'd, he'd gone down and was struggling with it and was hobbling about, uh, which is unusual for him. Uh, you know, as, as Carlos Corbran said, he's not the kind of player who often asks for the medical staff. So when he, when he did eventually sit down on the turf and wave them on, uh, that was obviously a concern. Um he straight did. up with an ice pack when he came off as well yeah i mean i was to be honest i i was a bit and you don't know what's happened with the medical staff and what evaluations they've done but i was surprised he came out for the second half because mm. at two nil up and cruising like that i just thought there was no need for him to you know just as a precaution i didn't think there was with, any need for him to with hog and icing on the bench as well yeah, exactly yeah yeah I, but we, you know is what it is. I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to talk about this game anymore because there's just genuinely not an, <laughs> not an awful lot more you can say about. Tino Andrin came on. There you he go. Did. There's and another did. point. And did effectively nothing, but that's fine. I mean, it was for him to come on with a just go and run around a bit. Harry it was, read that it, brief is fine. It, yeah, it was just go and touch the ball, wasn't it? That was yeah. that was his only tactical instruction, wasn't it? Just get on there yeah. and get yourself a touch of the ball, and that's fine. But on O'Brien, I mean, I thought he was a big miss against Forest, and you know they're saying he's a, he's a doubt for for the West Brom game. Um, hopefully, you know he's able to get through it, and he's all right. Obviously, Colwell and and. Uh, Karoma are both out ill as well at the moment, uh, who are also looking like doubts for for Friday, which is a a shame. But, you know, I think O'Brien and Thomas... For me, and maybe Danny Ward, are sort of the the irreplaceable players in this town lineup in terms of outfielders, at least. Mm. And you know, if I think they missed him massively against Forest, particularly in transition. Who, and I think this sort of that knock to him sort of just was a bit of a reminder, wasn't it? That you know anything can happen in the promotion race, and you know you're not over the line until you're over the line. There's still ten games to go, and these things can and will happen. Yeah, he's he's a man, not a machine. He's not even yeah. Drago. But yeah, it, I thought to be fair as well. I th- I think like he he usually copes with the tactical plan that Peterborough came up for him quite well, which was basically just to kick him, and he usually copes with that quite well. Um, but Peterborough really were focused on just fouling him every time he got into any sort of stride. So it kind of felt inevitable that he was going to pick up a knock at one point. Uh, and yet, funnily enough, it was kind of an accidental yeah. one that he ended up getting a knock from. It was, I mean, there was. N- it's the kind of thing that happens a million times a game. The defender was just clearing it and just mm. caught him with the follow through. That was all it was. So. Yeah, but yeah, let's talk Forest. Yeah, let's. I mean, some people in sort of hind, well, not even in hindsight. To be fair, some people were disappointed with that lineup. Mm. 
I I don't think there was much else. Well, not that there was, wasn't was much else that he could have done. There obviously was. But I wasn't... The only thing that really surprised me about that lineup was that Jordan Rhodes didn't start. Because I think... he Well, Carlos had told us before the game that Jamal Blackman was definitely going to start. Mm. So that was, you know, I think we suspected he would have done anyway. But we asked him on Friday at the press conference and he just outright told us, yes, he'll start. Um, and we suspected that, you know, Lewis O'Brien would be rested. Danny Ward would be rested. And sort of almost you reverse the team that played against Peterborough which is you know almost what he did six changes and the only sort of big surprise for me was the lack of a centre forward the lack of Jordan Rhodes but that was a tactical decision they made it wasn't a we don't want to play Rhodes or Ward it was just a player false nine as a gambit to try and draw the forest defenders out and create space what what did you make to the lineup first of all Dave um well I did the predicted lineup piece for it and I think I was only you know Rhodes shy of of getting it spot on um if memory serves so I certainly didn't have any complaints you know town have got a chorus of like 18 players 18 19 players Mm -hmm. that you're you know Corbin even if he's going to play a weakened side is going to draw from that well so it's not realistically it's not a weakened side you know most of these players have played plenty of football the two that haven't you know are Blackman and Ruffles and we'll talk about them when we get to when we get a bit more into it but and and Pippa yeah, yeah, but he's played plenty of in a town shirt overall. Yes. Um, I, I, yeah, I didn't really have any complaints because like they're just about to come into West Brom on Friday, Millwall away, and then Bournemouth, or it would have been Liverpool in the quarterfinal. You, it, I, I don't think it was a, like a massively weakened side, but at some no. point you have to you have to give a couple of players just you you don't know the difference like you know an hour off can give certain players so I, I can't really argue against it I have seen a lot of people saying play the strongest 11 but the problem is if you're willing to say that do not turn around next Wednesday against Millwall if it's a bit of a lacklustre performance and say I can't understand why they were tired you know mm. you can't have it always and they played Friday night another game on the Monday another game on the Friday another game is it on the Tuesday or the Wednesday Wednesday another game on the Wednesday and then another game on the Saturday you have to pick your moment so I thought the Sonani thing was interesting because you know as an analyst when you see something tactical like that it is interesting and I think it was quite valid because like the the Forest game in the league, you know, the centre it wasn't a centre forwards game by any stretch. So I completely get trying to do something different there. But yeah, I mean, it was pretty. It was pretty much the team I would have I would have picked really. And mm. I certainly don't think the defeat was down to the team selection. If I'm brutally honest with you, no, agreed. I think you know you talk about six changes, but I mean among those six changes, all right, one of them is Blackman in for for Nichols. We know that's a big downgrade, and I think we know that that Saar coming into the the team he's not their best central defender um but the other ones you know it's it's Carol Lighting coming in and Jonathan Hogg Mm -hmm. you know two midfielders who I think pretty much everyone would be happy if they were starting you'd have O'Brien with them ideally but you know that they're two players who are very capable of starting for Disfield Town and then you got Josh Ruffles coming in who didn't have his best game against Cardiff but he's generally done well when he's played before um and particularly in the FA Cup and and Pippa who you know I think most people would have had at the start of the season as their first choice right back I think he's got some work to do to 
to get that shirt back now because Ollie Turton's been playing so well. But you know, those are those are strong changes that you've made. I think it's only sort of goalkeeper where you've got sort of a, a significant downgrade because we know that Sar on his day can be all right. Um, but I think they were let down by a, a few individual performances here, and, and I'm talking specifically uh, about Pipper and, and Ruffles. Really, uh, I thought both both fullbacks or wingbacks as they were on the day were rather underwhelming um and ruffles in particular made a a big mistake for the the forest winner would you agree with that dave yeah i I don't just blame ruffles for that i think it's a communication Mm. thing and i think like set piece defending is so based on repetition and patterns that a he's not played enough football to have it down pat but b i think if you've got lee nichols in there with pearson and lees etc they know their roles and i think you can sort of marshal it a bit better so perhaps that doesn't happen with nichols in either i think but Mm. yeah it it was it was an error like it was a fine margins game really and i i said this i said this on extra time the club it was a fine margins and they didn't go town's way and i think when you look back over the game when you analyze it it, it, you know, like I say, it wasn't down to the team selection. It wasn't down to the tactics or anything like that. I thought Forrest were just pretty good all in. I think yeah, the way I Forrest thought... played it, it, tactically, I thought they got it spot on. And I think if Town had played their best eleven, I'm still not convinced it wouldn't have probably gone the same way. Yeah, I feel like the the crowd and the atmosphere made a big, big difference, cool. to be honest. I, it really felt like a big game to Nottingham yeah. Forest, and I think if we'd sort of reverse the fit the the venue, it probably would have been the same the other way, and I think that probably would have given Town the edge in truth. Mm. Um, but as it was, you know, Forest were obviously at home, the city ground was bouncing, obviously knowing that it was Liverpool waiting in the next round was a big part. But yeah, I agree. I thought I thought Forest were pretty well spot on both tactically and in the way they executed it. And I think you said to me that we've probably not seen another team beat the town press as well as Forrest no, did. They, and I think it was an analyst pick, if I'm honest, because what what they did was the way town press is they like Ward to go sort of hunting and then they get themselves into two lines behind. So it makes it very difficult to break down. And what Forrest did was basically just pass it long from the back and we're not talking about sort of booming hit and hope balls we're talking about along the ball, along the floor sort of 35-40 yard passes into attacking players who were coming inside into space and suddenly it's sort of taken Town's first two lines out of it and Town adjusted and they were better second half I think when they changed their shape but first half there was three or four times where one ball just sort of bypassed basically six town players and they were on the back foot and I think Forrest just got it spot on you know I think they I think Forrest did really really well and they only made two changes they they were taking it very very seriously we were at the ground we were at the back in the press box weren't we and it was noisy Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is one of the noisiest games I've been to for a long time and you could see what it meant at the final whistle too Steve because I mean nobody went for 10 minutes and I mean nobody the ground was the ground was still full so it uh, you know they were just super super up for it had a tactical plan that was hurt in town and they got their tails up i think i think they went behind and they were already feeling a bit of a sense of injustice for the <laughs> the goal that should have stood that got ruled out anyway 
I think Town going in front really spurred them into life, if I'm honest, really got them going. But that shouldn't detract from what actually, like, when you look at it, it wasn't actually a bad Town performance. They had plenty of chances. They made the right changes. They adjusted second half and they finished up looking pretty good, I think. Yeah, I think Gorbrand put hit the nail on the head when he talked about how his side were quite poor in, in transition, mm-hmm. uh, the, the attacking transitions in particular, because they'd, they'd win the ball and one of their big strengths this season has been they win the ball and they're able to, to counter-attack quickly and, and they can catch teams on the hop that way. Um, but they weren't able to do that in this game and I think there's two reasons for that. One is there was no Lewis O'Brien who yep. if you were if you were designing a player from the ground up to play well on trans in attacking transitions, you would make Lewis O'Brien, who is as good at dribbling as he is at tackling, he's perfect for it. Um and also never gets tired. And the other thing so that removed sort of a bit of that through the middle. And then because Ruffles and Pippa both had an off day out on the flanks, you were missing it out wide as well. So, you know that the, the I don't think the back five worked particularly well. They looked a lot better after they went to a four. Um, obviously, Forrest were playing on the counter at that point and they got chances. But um, I think that, you know, obviously that whole sort of midfield, that line of four in the three-four-three, three just weren't able to get things going. I thought after they moved to four-four-two, they looked a bit more likely to make something happen from open play. I thought Carol Eitin, second half, was really good. Um, yeah. Looking at the... The four-four-two at- as a diamond as well, I think suits Hoggy more because yeah. when he's when he's at, uh, like when you got three at the back, you don't particularly need that presence of a six so close to the back mm. three. We've and it, said this a lot about Hoggy in that three-four-three three this season. It just draws teams forward. It just draws you deeper and deeper. So I think playing the four-four-two as a diamond actually suits Hogg a, a lot better. And I think last night we both thought it suited Iting to play as sort of a proto-10 as well, didn't it? Yeah, I, I thought second half he was very bright. I thought first half he did a lot of good stuff out on the right wing with, with Pippa and Holmes. They they played off him really nicely. I thought Iting and Holmes had some really nice exchanges. They both liked to play sort of one-touch spin and move football and it was doing that that helped them create the, the, the chance for Pippa where he hit the post. Um, and then second half Iting was sort of getting forward a lot more looking for either crosses from central positions or looking, and I thought especially after Ward came on, Playing those those balls through to Danny Ward, you know, it looked like if there was going to be a goal coming, that would be where it came from. Mm. But you know, it wasn't to be. But you're right. I mean, it was you know, it was fine margins that the Town had the the benefit of that goal being wrongly disallowed for offside. That what would have been the opener, the sliding that's the sliding door could have been the sliding doors moment for Forest, but uh, it turned out that the big one was was Pippa hitting the post as far as Town were concerned because that would have been them restoring their lead to two one if that had gone in and Thomas's follow up. So, but Thomas's follow-up wasn't great either. I know it was on his weaker foot, but it was straight at the keeper. Um, he does have a bit of a tendency, doesn't he, Silver, to rush shots where maybe he's mm. got a bit of time to take a touch and pick a spot. Um, yeah. But I mean, Pippa was all over the place. There was, there was a was, period. Yeah, like you pointed out to me, second half where it was. I think it was a town goal kick, and he was stood in the centre forwards position. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, it's not. I don't think he'd been directed there because there was a gigantic gap where he should be. So it wasn't like tactically they'd gone, okay, you push up there. And I just think he was a little bit all at sea second half. I thought first half he wasn't that bad. I thought he was Mm. all right. But second half he just... Like I hate to say it, but there are almost shades of Hadajinai in in how high he was playing at times, you know. Um, and it was 
he's luck he's fortunate he's got the recovery pace he has really because it, it i tell you what it doesn't half get him out of some trouble sometimes yeah i mean i don't think he was like properly dreadful we we saw some stuff on social media yeah, he and, wasn't, and, no, he wasn't. and in our whatsapp absolutely slating him as though he'd had a two out of ten performance i, I think he was a long way off that you know but mm. i think hitting the post was almost the worst thing that happened to him because after that he looked like he was just like desperate to yeah. To be the hero, do you know what I mean? A bit like watching Stephen Gerrard playing for England back in the day, where he was sort of desperate to be the, right, the, the hero. Rovers. Yeah, very much so. And I, I think Pippa has a little bit of that about him at the best of times. Uh, he loves to go into the box and then dive and look for a penalty. Um, and yeah, he he just looked looked like he was trying too hard, um, which. Yeah, you know, we, we we criticise Ruffles and Pippa, but I think with both of them, it does just come down to neither of them's played a huge amount of football. They're both looking to make a point. I think Ruffles that error from the from the free kick, and it's worth saying with Ruffles, by the way, that he was playing against Spence and Johnson, who are maybe the best yeah. right wing in oh, the yeah. championship. Yeah. Um. So you know, and and as much as we like Josh Ruffles, it does worth it is worth remembering that before the season began, he'd played all of one game in the championship. So there is a learning curve for him there, and I think it was in this game. And with Pipper, obviously, you know, he's he's been out injured pretty much all season. He's tried to come back and then had setbacks. You know, he's not fully fit. So you know, we we can give him some leeway. And I think Carlos Gorbrand said after the game, the lineup, the selection he picked was not. Not um, just about giving a rest to some players, but it was also about getting minutes for others. Uh, and I think you would obviously count Itin, Ruffles and Pippa among that because, you know, as I said earlier with the O'Brien injury doubt, uh, Town do need to have those players fully fit and ready in case they need them because you don't want them to have those performances if you need to use them in the playoffs. Mm. So they need to get those players involved. And with the three games they've got coming up, I think there's not a huge opportunity for, you know, massive rotation as they might have had against your your Birmingham and, and your Peterborough where Corbram was able to, to rotate things a bit more and bring in the likes of Jordan Rhodes. So, yeah, I think... As disappointing as it is to go out, I can understand why he wanted to use this game and almost use it as a way to to let those players, you know, sort of stand or fall. Mm. I think the other thing is that I think a Carlos Corbran team they're not they're not built for cup ties because it's just not what Corbran is about. He's about control and he's about you know patterns and repetitions so town have a few different patterns that they try so sometimes it's the out ball to thomas where they try and break the press that way you know I talked about how they defend how they like ward to press and they can drop into two lines that sort of the obsession with control is great and they're doing brilliantly in the league and they are where they are but cup ties are sometimes about chaos and it's very difficult just to flick a switch and say, OK, right, there's 20 minutes left and we're 2-1 down. It's time to, you know, it, it it's time to, I don't know, throw on somebody up front and just try and get the ball in the box and get bodies up there. And I think Town were much better second half and I think they finished with what was pretty much an all right performance. But it never really felt like they had the ability to proper crank up the pressure, you know, 2-1 down in a cup tie last 10 minutes. It never, they never turned Forrest's goal into the Alamo. They never had those like, you know, that mad scramble in the box. Mm. And, you know, throwing forward to the to the playoffs, it's perhaps something they need to maybe think about because, you know, effectively you have got, if all goes well, three cup ties one after the other. 
I thought it was interesting that they didn't throw the kitchen sink at it in that mm. way because um, I know that Forest have a huge amount of pace. They're really good on the counter, as they showed, even with the the sort of slightly more conservative changes Town did make. But we've we've seen in other games. I'm thinking of sort of Derby and Cardiff and and others that Carlos Gorban is not completely against Blackpool as well. Is not completely against if they're trailing and they need a goal, just throw on every attacking player you've got. Even if that means playing Lewis O'Brien at left-back and Harry Toffolo at centre-back, he'll do it. And he didn't here. He held back a bit. He did make attacking subs. He went, you know, he brought on Ward, he brought on Toffolo, he brought on Rhodes, he brought on Andrian. But he didn't use his full complement of subs. No. And I thought it was interesting. I mean, Carol Lighting said after the game, maybe we should have got out wide a lot more and used crosses. I think that's not Pippa's strength for a start, which probably ha- hamstrung them a little bit. But... Um, you know, they they didn't, for instance, put John Russell on just to mm. go and almost play as a third centre forward and just create chaos in the box. And I I thought it was interesting and maybe sort of maybe I'm being unfair, but maybe sort of points to where the priorities are at the moment that, that Corbrand just went, you know what? <laughs> we'll just we, we we don't need to throw out everything at this. We'll we'll we can conserve something for mm. for Friday. Yeah. And I think you the other thing is Forrest made two changes for their starting eleven and they only made two subs on the night. They they were trying to go for this. They were throwing the kitchen sink at it by trying to keep their best eleven on the pitch and so there is, there is something in it and I mean hundred and twenty minutes worth of football wouldn't have done anyone any good last night in truth. No. So there are the positives to take from it are no injury worries, done in ninety minutes. The unbeaten run may be gone overall, but they're still the one in the league, which I think you can talk about as a very valid thing to protect and carry on. But yeah, some of the reaction I think to the game, we like you after straight after the game, me and Steve have jobs to do. <laughs> um, that's kind of the nature of the thing. But when you reflect back on social media, when you when you look back at various things, I think there are a lot of people who were an. More disappointed with this game than I thought there would be, if I'm honest. And, uh, you know, I kind of get it. But at the same time, I think I think that the FA Cup was the competition to have this performance in. If you are going to have it, you know, you, you may as well move on and keep your best stuff for the league. What they do have to do is react and bounce now. They have to play well on uh, Friday against West Brom, who, regardless of context and league position, etc., I, I think do represent a different challenge. Um, I think they were they were actually worryingly pretty decent against Hull, all things considered, um, and very well organised. So, you know, they've lost 2-1 in the FA Cup away from home. OK, so be it. <laughs> Let's move yeah. on, you know. Against a very good Forest side who played very well on the and day as well. And took it very, very seriously. Yeah, I think... This was one of those games where you and I, I think, initially, sort of as the final whistle blew, were were a bit more down on it. And then when we spoke to our colleagues in the national press or and, and had the benefit of the drive home, the two-hour drive home, to think about the game, we came away thinking, actually, it wasn't that bad. It was just one or two individuals and a few sort of fine margins go the other way you know if you think of it if it hadn't been for that offside you know from from the winner for Forest, if it hadn't been if that pippa shot had just gone the other side of the post we're probably sitting here talking about a very different result so i don't think it's anything to be too massively downhearted about and to be fair although there are some people who are sort of saying it should have been a full strength side they should have gone for it etc etc which i'm sympathetic to i think for a lot of people they would have wanted to see town reach the quarterfinals, which they haven't done for 50 years, so I think that would have been significant for some people. But 
I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's um, we just got that bit of distance on it. But I, I just feel like you. you I mean, the, the position town are in. They've got to prioritise the league because they are by no means nailed on for a playoff place even yet. Let alone any sort of speculation about an automatic place where you know. <laughs> it's funny that that some town fans are suddenly getting a bit chirpy. I've noticed there's a new Twitter account set up having a pop at at, <laughs> at fans who are moaning sort of bitter rival fans having a pop at Huddersfield Town um, which is you know it's in, in a lot of ways it's good to see because it's been a long time since Town have, mm. have had any um, opportunity to get cocky so I don't begrudge anyone that at all but I think talk of, you know people are saying oh people are right people kept saying they've got games in hand and look at them now but it's like well yeah but I mean four games in hand is a lot of games when you've yeah. only got a one point lead you know and it so, is it, it, like I don't think anyone was. I mean, like you no. can't you can't sit here and enjoy the fact that town have sort of gone under the radar and been underrated by so many, and then turn around and say, "Well, everybody was saying this, that, and the other." <laughs> you can't have it both ways. I think town have gone under the radar. They now aren't. They're sort of firmly in the spotlight for everyone. Um, and I think you're going to see a team like West Brom on Friday night are going to just their their ultimate aim is going to be to try not to lose so they're going to make it very very difficult for town you know if they get the draw I think West Brom would probably take that if I'm brutally honest so town have got a series of different challenges coming Ooh, up but I all, I, you th- town would take a draw or West Brom would take no a West draw. Brom would take a draw I think <sighs> West Brom would take I, a draw. I don't know if they would I think they I think they need to win this to have any chance of staying in the playoff places to be honest I they're, they're six points behind and have played one more game than most of the teams ahead of them I I've got a few West Brom mates it's where my dad's side of the family are from so we know we have a bit of West Brom in the family and I can tell you now they've basically given up on the playoffs anyway <laughs> they what they're what they're after before the end of the season Steve is just some competent football which mm. is I mean that sounds like an incredibly low bar but I think it probably tells you where they've been up until this point mm-hmm. I think they're also all acutely aware of if they were to get into the playoffs what are they going to do because <laughs> they're just not as good as the other sides in contention so I I think that the, the, the other thing that puts the Forest game in context for me though is West Brom away I think is a tough game I think town have to be at the best if I'm honest despite what the league says and various other things I think Millwall away we've already discussed is a proper sort of banana skin of a game really because there is one Millwall who are very very good and one Millwall who are very beatable so it completely depends who you play on the night and then you got Bournemouth at home which is a, a a massive game you know because if if town are in contention and they do want to push on that's not one of those games that they can just get beaten 3-0 in you know and and slap to one side they need so they've got a chance there to really really put a stake in the ground so you have to remember there's a massive sort of eight days coming up really of games so the forest game was what it was you just have to move on really to the bigger and better things ahead arguably it would have been nice to have a Sunday night tie against Liverpool but yeah there's three like gigantic games coming up now yeah and particularly that Bournemouth game could be but I think for that Bournemouth game to be massive they do need to get I think at least a point off West Brom and Millwall and probably hope that that Bournemouth slip up again as well Mm. so I mean Millwall have won all of their last five Bournemouth um 
are obviously, you know, in good form themselves despite losing at the weekend. And, and West Brom, who are obviously up next, uh, and, you know, they've been in dreadful form recently, but they did get that win at Hull, uh, their first win under Steve Bruce. And, you know, they'll be... They've, they've got a point to prove. I think they'll be right up for that against, you know, at, yeah. at their own ground. So it is, as you say, a huge, huge eight days. And, you know, it's... <sighs> I think will sort of tell us a lot about where town are. I think they should still be getting, I think if they end up with sort of one win out of these three, that's still, I think pretty good going. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think four points from these three games is, is decent. I think they're in a position now where they can say that and, and it's not going to dent their playoff hopes. They're in a, a, a good position as far as that is concerned, particularly after this weekend results where Bournemouth lost, Blackburn lost, QPR lost, Luton lost, Sheffield United drew with Forest. You know, all the results apart from Middlesbrough winning uh, went town's way this weekend. So um, there's, there's massive positives there and they're in a strong position. But I think if they, you know, if they lose to it, those games then and particularly you know if they only get one or two points then you sort of it comes home again that the the season isn't done yet and as Carlos Gorbran has told us repeatedly after Peterborough the future doesn't exist yet yeah and I I think they've got this eight game spell then they've got a couple of of they've got the international break and a, a couple more winnable looking fixtures and then they go into another little crucial spell where they've got is it like QPR and Borough and what have you in quick succession yeah. so this little mini league coming up it's quite important to take something from it I think um, in terms of your sort of aspirations and ambitions for the rest of the season so yeah you, like when you put it in that context and you go they should have played a full strength side against Forest. I, I just can't really I can't really mm. agree with that if I'm honest I think they yeah. they did exactly the right thing the Rhodes one isn't the one that I would raise my eyebrows at it was probably the Blackman one I would have had Lee Nichols in there but you know I would as well I think I think having a cup keeper for a championship side is unnecessary but I don't know maybe it helps with recruitment if you're able to say look you will get chances in the cup maybe it means you can mm. sign a better backup keeper I, I don't know it, it feels on that goalkeeper's the one position you don't need to rest isn't it and I'm sure Lee Nichols would have loved <laughs> yeah. to play in that game so feels a strange one to me but and there you the go. thing was the thing was and I know it's a small thing but he was there <laughs> so if mm. you're you know if you if you were going to rest him I would say rest him let him watch the game from his sofa at home <laughs> you know don't have him there and and there as backup really when you got I think Jacob Chapman was there wasn't he as well as mm-hmm. the as the sort of third warm-up keeper yeah so yeah I, I that's the one I sort of raised my eyebrows at really and yeah. I don't funnily enough I don't think Blackman did much wrong I've seen a, f- a few people saying he had a really bad performance I don't think he did I think his distribution is not great no, and awful. <laughs> you know I but I would point people towards the fact that like early this season we were saying how bad Nichols distribution was because you have to get used to where your Mm. players want the out balls where they want you to put them where they're going to be naturally because the really good keepers just it becomes almost psychic because they gather the ball and they're already looking at where they know a certain player is going to be so they can bowl it out to them and like you only get that through repetition in games so but I did think he let the crowd get to him a bit on his distribution 
position yeah, because sure. they were they were right on his back and second half he had a couple of little wobbly moments but I don't think he did too much wrong than, other than that if I'm honest no I think you're right to raise you know that run of games the other side of the international break as well I think that makes it all the more important that they do get the, these next three right because you know they, they play Hull as their first game back on a Friday night another Friday night game I absolutely love giving us them at the moment um and you know that's you'd think a winnable game Hull got nothing to play for at this point no. but and on a great team anyway. But then it's, as you say, it's Luton, QPR and Middlesbrough, three other playoff contenders. Um, so, you know, I think if, they, if they're if they able to get positive results from the next three, the West Brom, Millwall, Bournemouth run, it does relieve a bit of the pressure on mm. those games. But if they don't, then those are three very, very tough games that they're probably going to need to get something out of. So, or at least one or two of them. So, yeah, massive, massive eight days coming up for the Seal Town season. And, uh, and they can concentrate on the league we've managed to i think get this far without saying those words but there they are um right dave you and i are both going to be at the b team game on wednesday evening aren't we, we uh, are. yeah huddersfield town playing stoke in the premier league cup they're through to the last 16 uh fiver for adults two pounds for concessions uh and it's been enjoyable watching the b team this season to be fair uh, yeah, very much so. This will be my third B-team game of the season at the John Smiths. Um, and they are very attractive side to watch. You know, they they really do... They they play very, very quickly. You know, they, they're really quick in their transitions. Uh, they've got some exciting players, particularly on the attacking side of things. They've got some very good fullbacks coming through. Um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. Stokes... From what I can sort of glean, Stoke's development squad is um, quite Stokeish. <laughs> in that, <laughs> you know, they they tend to recruit for first team positions. They're not overly interested in developing their own players. So, as a reflection, I think they're quite hopefully quite beatable. And Town have been on a bit of a tear in this competition. They got through their mm-hmm. group in magnificent fashion i don't know if everybody's aware but they they were in a group with uh birmingham newcastle and watford and watford um and they scored what was it two and a half goals. two and a half thousand goals was it like <laughs> they scored i think it was scored 18 and conceded three mm. and on, only west Brom scored more no one conceded fewer so they were they were arguably sort of the star star team of the group stage really the, the only points they dropped was they drew up in newcastle um, yeah. And the return game, Town beat them 2-0, but it was a pretty handsome 2-0 victory because the job was done by half-time and second half they were playing with a with a top hat on. Um, so, yeah. you know, they really are pretty good. They, they're, they're worth watching, certainly. Famous last words here. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, 7 o'clock kick-off. It, uh, it's extra time and penalties because it's the, the round of 16. So there will be a winner uh, on the night and hopefully they'll get through to the quarter-final. So if you fancy a bit of a cup fix, there you go. Uh, and there's also, while we're sort of doing the the, <laughs> the uh, ticket office's job for them, um, we, we really need to sort out a commission here, Dave. They have just announced that, that as we've gone to air, that uh, the tickets for the Bournemouth game are a tenner a throw for all fans. So, right. yeah, you can uh, you can roll up for that. I'm sure that I mean that looks like a fantastic game. Hopefully they'll get a, a sellout for that, and it's a rare Saturday 3 p.m. kickoff mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Hill Town at the moment. So yeah, I would say that one really looks like an exciting game in prospect. And while we're talking about ticket prices, actually, there is there has been something we should touch on. We meant to talk about it last week, but after everything, um, we we didn't get round to it. But we uh, 
we've had some correspondence from fans talking about the the changes to the the loyalty point scheme there there or rather changes away from a loyalty point scheme so basically that if you are a blue and white club member you get priority access to to tickets uh you get to to get on them before they go on general sale and this has sort of replaced the loyalty scheme for away fans and a lot of fans don't like it there's been sort of a mixed response but obviously there's there's a campaign going at the moment in favor of the loyalty club club scheme uh dave have you have you on top of this what 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 are your thoughts on it um it's quite difficult for me and you because you know we're in a very privileged position in that we mm-hmm. we get to go to the games. I was going to say for free, but it's not for free because we work in them. It's not like we're going and sitting back and putting our feet up and enjoying. We don't it. pay to get in though, yeah. No, but we don't pay to get in, and it, it gives us a slightly different viewpoint. So I've spoke to some friends who are you know season ticket holders or regular game goers or home or home and awayers. It does seem quite an unpopular decision, if I'm brutally honest. Um, and I, I kind of get some of the arguments. I, it, it's probably something we should save for another podcast, but you know I have some very, very radical ideas in regards to ticketing that would probably get me drummed out of football club. Um, but I, I kind of get it. I kind of get the sort of the, the, the discomfort at it because there's some who are only viewing it as all they're really seeing is the monetary value attached to it is the money that they have to pay out and i i kind of get that i also get the point of view that i think the loyalty point system is not perfect either um Mm -hmm. i'm not sure there is a perfect seat it's (laughs) i'm not sure there is a perfect system which is why as i said i i have some rather extreme views on ticketing but yeah what's your take on it yeah well first of all do you think home and away fans are crowing about the demise of neighbors secondly I think they get closer each day. Mm. And, no, but seriously, um, I, I sort of would echo that we're in a privileged position. We're probably not the ones to talk about it, but didn't want to just let people think that we're just ignoring it. Speaking personally as someone who is a, a fan of a, a big club where it's impossible to get tickets, I don't like loyalty club schemes. You're a schemes. Brighton fan. <laughs> I don't like loyalty club schemes as a point of principle. I think they create a closed shop. Uh, I think it's you end up with, you know, well, it's Liverpool. I think people know that. It's impossible to get tickets to Liverpool away games because it's the same 3,000 fans that go to every game. And you talk to them online and they say, well, we go to every game, so we should be rewarded for our loyalty. It's like, yeah, but you go to every game because you're the only ones who can get tickets. Yeah. Like, it's not because you're the only ones who want to go to games. I think there's all sorts of reasons why fans would pick and choose which away games they want to even what home games they went to you know not everyone works monday to friday not everyone you know can can has the money to be able to afford to go to every game there's all kinds of factors there so i'm not a big fan of loyalty schemes um but (laughs) in other walks of life i'm also not a big fan of sort of priority access that's paid for um you know sort of things like priority boarding at airports i think that it sort of it creates a, a stratified society a two-tier society for those who can afford it and those who can't so i can see both sides of the argument with this i think what the club would say is that they there is still sort of an aspect of loyalty even with the the change to this i think there is still um incentive for you to to go to to games and and that allows you certain privileges as well and also the money that the blue and white club raises is sort of you know is there to go towards the development of academy players and 
you know, I think it's that you could take the view of, well, you know, if we weren't doing it this way, a sort of voluntary scheme, then we'd have to raise season ticket prices across the board. So I think it's a very complex issue. Uh, the ATT, the Altogether Town meetings that they do quarterly, it's going to be discussed at the next one. HTSA have requested that it gets brought up there, as have, I think, the Cowshed Loyal, although I may be speaking out of turn there. But either way, I know it's on the agenda and, and obviously we'll get more details on it and, and the club response after that ATT meeting. But yeah, I, I think it's... I. I think it's there's an element of not to sort of dismiss the complaints, but I think there is an element of this is the kind of thing that whatever you do, there's going to be fans who who don't like whatever change you've made. I believe that there were people complaining when they moved from then when they moved the other way that this is how it was before, and they moved towards the loyalty points, and people complained about it then as well. So there's there's two sides to it. I think that as you say, Dave, I think sort of no ticketing scheme is going to please everyone all the time. And, and I know that that sounds like sitting on the fence, but I think it's, it's one where I'm not really in a position to have a view on it because mm. I don't, I'm not a match paying fan. You know, I don't pay for my tickets. So this is it. This is it. And that does unfortunately frame our views. It, it does make, you know, we just literally aren't the best people to talk about it. So it's, it's difficult, but um, yeah, at some point we'll have, at some point we'll do a pod maybe in the summer talking about various issues and I'll reveal the full heresy <laughs> of my views on season tickets and football tickets in general. Right, there we go. That's it from us at Utopia Terrier. Dave, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. See you later.